You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome to Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, uh, Talib Man, and Imam Imran Akram. And uh, yeah, we're here, and we're coming to you live from our studios in South London, uh, in our Voice of Islam studios, and uh, I'm sure all. Our live programs have expressed their condolences uh, on the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, um, and I'm sure you know we feel uh, some sadness, uh, yeah. definitely uh, to that. But uh, you know, I think even in her own words, you know, uh, there are goodbyes, but there are always hellos. So you know, long, uh, long live the King, King Charles III, and his reign now. But uh, without further ado, how's Imran doing? I'm good, alhamdulillah, and uh, good evening, everyone. And um, good, and looking forward to this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you say, looking forward to this program. Mm-hmm. What are we actually discussing today? Yeah, what are the two topics for our two hours? Yes, uh, today we're discussing about uh, sewage scandal polluting British beaches. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later in the hour, we'll discussing uh, on um, interest and what is the concept uh, um, of Islam on interest and usury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so. yeah, and uh, two very topical uh, subjects currently, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and without further ado, let's get straight into our first uh, topic of the day, which is uh, you know, the actual scandal around sewerage in this country. Um, you know, polluting of our, not just beaches, but our, our, our waterways, our, our rivers and canals. So water, fa- uh, water companies are facing mounting criticism over this uh, this issue of sewerage being pumped uh, into uh, onto British beaches. Now, in late August, more than 40 uh, pollution warnings were issued at swimming po- uh, points and uh, spots across England and Wales as intense rainwater overwhelmed systems. Now, according to the Environmental Agency, water companies spent and this is a staggering, <laughs> right? Uh, I'll just round it up, but it's nine million hours, right? Nine million hours discharging sewage uh, between 2016 and 2021 into the sea and rivers across the UK. Now, that figure is an increase of 2,553% over a five year period. Wow. I mean, that's just that's uh, staggering, staggering yeah. right? Amount, right? Um, and in its context as well, because uh, we're going to look you know, further into the uh, program as to why um, these water companies have been allowed to actually uh, discharge this amount of sewerage into our waterways. Now, uh, in 2016, the Environmental Agency recorded 100,533 uh, 100, hours worth of spills. Now, by 2021... That figure had actually skyrocketed to two million six hundred, almost two million seven hundred of thousand hours. Now, most of the UK has a combined uh, sewerage system, uh, which means that both rainwater and waterways uh, and uh, wastewater, sorry, I should say, from toilets, bathrooms, kitchens, etc., uh, are carried in the same pipes. Now, usually. All the waste is carried to a sewage uh, treatment works. Now, the uh, uh, the environmental agency says the capacity can sometimes be exceeded during heavy rainfall, uh, especially when dry ground is unable to quickly absorb that water. Now, this could lead to inundation of sewage works and potential uh, flooding of homes, 
roads and open spaces. Now, for this reason, the system is designed to uh, overflow occasionally and discharge this excess wastewater into seas and rivers. Now, this practice is known as um, the combined sewer overflows, so CSOs for short, uh, and is actually permitted by law. Now, the environmental agency requires water companies to monitor the overflows, and they can uh, they they can uh, be investigated and fined if they fail to meet certain requirements. Now, the EA, the EA has revealed that sewage uh, monitors installed in some popular beaches in England and Wales are faulty or, uninst- uh, or uninstalled. So they're there, but they're not even working. <laughs> now, resulting in a quarter of sewage discharges going actually unmonitored. Now, meanwhile, the uh, environmental agency itself has uh, failed to attend most, almost half of the most serious water company spills reported to uh, to it in the first half of this year, so 2022. Uh, last year, uh, Southern Water was fined 90 million, 90 million pounds, right, for dumping billions of litres of untreated sewage into the sea in Hampshire, uh, Kent and West Sussex. And for us, you know, who are living in London, I think it's only just a couple of weeks ago that uh, the Thames, uh, the southern portion of the Thames, had become black yeah. uh, due to sewage discharge. Uh, around, I think around about Deptford, that area. So yeah, this problem isn't going away, and it's it's increasing. I mean, yeah, if we look, uh, what does Islam teach us regarding this? Uh, so Islamic the- teaching um, provided uh, provide humanity with the effect effective solution to today's environmental challenges. Islam has already, uh, always emphasized on the importance of protecting the environment and uh, conversing, conserving uh, natural resources. So um, the Allah Almighty state in the Holy Quran, he created men, he taught him plain speech. The sun and the moon run their courses according to a fixed reckoning and the uh, stainless plants and the trees humbly submit to his will and the heaven he has raised high and set up the mayors that you may not transgress the mayors so so wait all things with justice and fell not short of the mayors so this is the verse uh, from chapter um, 55 uh, verse number 4 to 10. So in this verse, um, as it mentioned above in this verse, um, the destroying environment over, over environment will be going against the commandment of the Holy Quran. Therefore, in Islam, protecting and looking f- after our environment is considered both a religious duty as well as a social duty. Mm-hmm. And um, um, there's another verse of the Holy Quran Sorry, there's a saying of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu mm-hmm. in uh, which he says that uh, the word is uh, sweet and green and uh, verily Allah has appointed you as a representative and trustee over it. And um, I just remember another saying of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in mm-hmm. which he says, every one of you is a shepherd and he's responsible uh, for his flock. So th- this means that uh, um, the surrounding n- nature, um, we are, we are um, responsible um, of of our uh, mm. surrounding environment, mm. and uh, we will be held responsible on mm. the day of judgment. Yeah, so, I mean, you yeah. just look at you know, the summer that we've had, um, 
And okay, the law provides, say for instance, if we look specifically at these discharges of sewerage mm. into the waterways and our beaches, that um, it's because of excessive rainwater, yeah. right? But where's the excessive rainwater been? Yeah. Right, this summer. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I've been in a different UK, <laughs> but I, this has been the hottest summer and the yeah. longest summer yeah. that we've had in a long time, um, as records have re- um, told us. Yeah. And actually, at the one point, they were declaring that drought. There is not exactly. Yeah. So, I'm not so where's this excessive rainwater? <laughs> and we have had okay some flash flooding yeah. because of the rain uh, recently, but to warrant over two. 0.7 million hours of discharge um, is just crazy. But to talk more about this, we're actually joined by our first guest uh, who uh, is with us, and it's uh, Mark Barrow. Uh, and Mark Barrow is from uh, the organization From Beneath British Waters. Peace be upon you. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us today on the Drive Time Show. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible situation that we find ourselves uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, all this sewerage going into uh, not just the beaches, but the cana- uh, you know, our, our waterways. And uh, I was just relating some figures to our viewers out there, so that currently, you know, just you know, over 2.7 million hours worth of discharge. Um, and... You know that the environmental agency is only just being able to record maybe even half of those uh, incidents. So, you know, would you you know like to tell our listeners about the you know your research uh, and your organisation has done uh, into untreated sewage and wastewater being dumped into you know our waterways? Um, you know, currently. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I'm an underwater filmmaker specialising purely in freshwater rivers and lakes across mm-hmm. the United Kingdom. It's something I've done for 30 years, and I get a unique insight into our rivers that most people just don't get to see. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've seen the good, the bad, and the completely destructive side of river pollution. Um, and I've actually been covered in this a few times, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, wow. ultimately, I start, ultimately, I started filming freshwater fish, but obviously because I was starting to see more pollution incidents, I then started documenting this um, purely on film. Um, and I found over the years the problem is that people, people do look at rivers and they see the tranquil flows and the water cascading over rocks, kingfishers on the flyby, yet so many are unaware of this magical world, but they're also unaware of what in actual fact is going on, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've now been campaigning for about approximately 15 years, but it's really under this last four or five years that my voice has started to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is through, obviously, the likes of having Fergal Sharkey on yeah. the campaigning yeah. um, for Rivers and the likes of Ashley from... Um, Windrush, uh, Professor Peter Hammond and Jamie Woodward mm-hmm. and many more including the Ilkley River Clean Group which I work alongside and they're the first ones to get a designated bathing status on an English river and I'm sad to say it is still unsafe to swim in due to bacterial levels. Mm-hmm. I mean I think recently we had um, okay you're you're more involved with like you said fresh water waterways yes, yeah yeah but you know i'm sure you know the the news of polio once again rearing its head uh and that's from our sewerage system 
So, yeah. you know, obviously, the, you know, the, these problems, you would have thought, well, <laughs> how can we be catapulted back into, you know, uh, Dickensian times when, uh, you know, we had these diseases due to, uh, uh, you know, bad sanitary um, so practices? You know, you would have yeah. thought that uh, with the money that, uh, you know, the water companies get, that they should be reinvesting this in, uh, in actually, um, what's the word, updating and modernization of uh, the system, the sewage system. So my next question being, you know, water companies are actually allowed by law to discharge untreated sewage into the rivers in exceptional circumstances. Um, and I think we pointed out during heavy rainfall. However, you know, according to the environmental agency, you know, the state of our rivers is not uh, obviously in the condition that we want, and we are still seeing too much pollution from a number of sources. What then, Mark, in your opinion, you know, are the main reasons behind this huge problem? Yeah, well, you're, you're quite right that water companies are allowed to discharge untreated sewage into rivers, and, and it should only actually happen in exceptional weather circumstances. Mm -hmm. But all my filming underwater of sewage and from the bank side is either in dry weather or minimal weather. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what, one example is um, Liv Garfield, who is the CEO of Seven Trent Water. Just one of the combined sewer overflows at Ilkeston, Hallam Field, Waste Water Treatment Works, in 2021, that discharged for 8,354 hours, wow. which equates to 348 days, and that's just from one CSO. A whole year? Well, virtually, just a, whole virtually a whole year. year. Yeah, and as far as oh, I'm God. aware, we didn't have exceptional rainfall nearly for a whole year last year. Well, exactly my point here. Where <laughs> yeah, has this yeah. rainfall come from? So, Well... I, th I think a lot of it is obviously, um, I know because I live in Yorkshire, um, a, lot, a lot of the new housing estates now, they're, they're tending to have more tarmac front gardens, so there's more rainwater being flushed down, obviously making its way into the drains. Um, we also need to try and stop flushing um, other than human waste and paper mm -hmm. down the toilet. They're the only two things that need to go down, but, you know, I'm encountering huge amounts of wipes and sewage litter. Um, mm. And ultimately, they can cause a blockage and they can cause a CSO to discharge. Um, and I've, I've had a tour of a wastewater treatment plant and the skipfuls that you see of sewage litter is you've got to see it to believe it because it's on a, it's on a grand scale, to be quite honest. Um, but also the Environment Agency, they can't actually do the job properly because they've had budget cuts. Mm -hmm. um, and I've a lot of the what I call the hierarchy in the environment agency just tend to bury their heads, whereas the staff on the ground actually do superb work, work mm -hmm. and they're just as frustrated as everyone else, to be quite honest. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, um, ultimately, the investment has never really come from water companies, mm. um, and they've just not had the foresight or basic intelligence to see this coming. And we are now at rivers that were at, at below 16%, if you go back to September 2000, rivers were classed at 92% overall health. So wow. that's how much we've lost in 22 years. Wow, over 70-odd percent, uh, yeah. as my yeah. like, rudimentary maths would work, work out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think mean, every, literally, Sorry, literally mm. every time I film in the river, I encounter some type of um, sewage pollution. Wow. That's uh, that, that's not just only worrying, but you just think that uh, we, we do. I think right at the top of the program when we, we came to you, 
you said that you know you see these media clips on TV of these idyllic uh, scenes of you know rivers and waterways when we see them on our on our screens yeah uh, yes. and uh, you know these little uh, water uh, water walkers and you know that that kind of like dreamy yes. Uh, yes. idea of a of an English like uh, summer's day and you know by yeah. by by this slowly kind of like uh, babbling brook that is in reality that's that's so far from the truth then we're literally miles away from that unfortunately mm. and it, it's sad to say to be quite honest and you know mm. fresh water it's one of our most precious resources yeah. we ultimately we need it to survive mm-hmm. and this is unfortunately how it's been treated on a daily basis mm. i think imran's got a, a question for you mark um so hi mark um i've got a question for you that are you satisfied by the actions uh, being taken by the authorities uh, including water companies to minimize the release of uh, sewage into the waterways what more could be done by the authorities to tackle this issue um well no i'm i'm not satisfied to be quite honest um i mean the grand plan of the government is um going to give water companies another 28 years to stop discharging raw sewage mm-hmm. um and i'm also fed up with the environment agency apologizing um for the privatized water industry by going on about the victorians and what did the victorians ever do for us well they gave <laughs> us the likes of the water companies to dump thousands of gallons of human waste in our rivers and seas mm. um water companies have had over three decades to do something useful with all the profits they've made and in that time they've made they've paid their shareholders and investors billions the ceos have earned eye-watering amounts um, meanwhile they've neglected the system to the point where leaks are wasting millions of liters in a drought and they've sold off reservoirs to developers and they've failed to do anything about the filth dumped into the environment and the government plan doesn't even mention the state of the so-called treated effluent which in some places is as filthy as the raw sewage unfortunately the privatization experiment has failed because of corporate greed and government stupidity mm-hmm. so um if we as a you know caring public uh and wanting to clean up the situation because it doesn't look like the authorities whether it be the environmental agency the policing authorities or ultimately the government uh have a handle on this i mean what can we do as the general public i mean what can you know or can we do anything you know to save our waterways from pollution yeah we can do we can do something because ultimately they need to be looked after um, and as I said before, one important aspect is only to flush human waste and paper down the toilet, nothing else, um, mm-hmm. because obviously wipes and sewage litter are a big part of obviously what I encounter when I'm filming underwater. Um, but people can join local groups um, that do river restoration and monitoring. Um, but also, if pollution is seen, to take pictures and film it, phone it to the Environment Agency and get a log number. Mm-hmm. And if need be, they can always send me a copy of the video and the pic- pictures um, for obviously my data. Um, another aspect which I would love to get involved with with, with your listeners is I do uh, film presentations on weekends around Yorkshire free of charge throughout the winter mm-hmm. and show various filming of fish and rivers, uh, but also pollution and explain why rivers are so important you know, the value and some of the most idyllic films of fish and what we can all do to help. Um, mm. So obviously, if any of you listen, listeners are interested in this, 
I'd be more than happy because it would be fantastic to get more people coming together mm. as one greater voice, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, no, t- totally, Mark. I mean, that's the whole p- uh, point of um, us here uh, at Drive Time Show uh, and ultimately uh, Voice of Islam is to see the problems that we have uh, in society. And if we, uh, as a collective, can actually address that, uh, you know, power, you know, basically power to the truth, really. Yes, I mean, it doesn't really matter what background you're from or mm-hmm. whatever faith you've got. This affects all of us. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, mm-hmm. if something's not done, we, we're going to lose all this. Yeah. And it's going to take it's going to take years and years to recover because it only takes one major pollution incident to completely kill a river off for years. Wow. Mm. OK, Mark. Well, uh, with that uh salutary note uh thank you yeah yeah thank you for joining us today on the drive time show it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh well, you know really you kind of much. like underlying the the the, the problem that uh, our waterways uh, are facing no thanks very much this afternoon appreciate it thank you have a good day mark bye O two O eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And um I think Mark was right, obviously. Uh and in fact we we actually have an Insta story uh that we've put out there. Uh and we've asked actually on our Insta story, are British beaches clean enough? And what are the percentages? Uh, uh do you know? I, I'm afraid right, I'm okay. <laughs> Not to worry. I've got the percentages here. <laughs> so it's basically a yes or a no, okay? So the question was, you know, are our British uh, beaches clean enough? And you, the listeners, have responded by saying 17% said yes. Uh, and, you know, you, rudimentary <laughs> maths would dictate 83% of you have said no. Wow. And, you know, you can imagine, right, mm. Imran? You, you know, you, you're going down to the, you know, the, 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 the seaside, mm. Um, and then you're swimming along, and then you have raw sewage floating yeah. around. It's just disturbing scene. I've seen a couple of the Twitter videos as well, mm-hmm. and uh, you can see the black, and uh, and you can see the raw sewage. I mean, it's disturbing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For, for marine life and for sea life, I mean, it's uh, going to ruin everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Mark just said then, yeah. when you if you were to have one major incidence of... Uh, um, uh, you know, sewage coming into the uh, in, into a river, yeah. it takes that river thirty odd years to, to come back, and so yeah. basically that's a death for that river, yeah. and not only a death for the river, but you think all the wildlife which is associated to that river, yeah. and it's not just the fish, it's not the, the it's the whole bio you know bio ap- uh, hemisphere that it's it's, yeah. it's around there, yeah, sure. um, and if we like look at health risks, um, you know, swimmers have. Uh, are warned to stay away from untreated sewage uh, as it's discharged, obviously. (laughs) But according to the government's own uh, advisors, discharges from storm overflows and other problematic sewage treatment works uh, are a serious public health issue. Um, Now, in 2020, there are 153 reports of sickness from people being uh, using sites affected by uh, overflow of sewage. And... You know, in terms of uh, in terms of that, you know, the contaminated water, which could lead to serious uh, illnesses, uh, risks include uh, gastrointestinal illnesses, stomach bugs, which may cause diarrhea or vomiting, mm-hmm. as well as respiratory, skin, ear, and eye infections. And you know, there's that impact also, I think, to uh, to the wildlife yeah. that we see. 
but uh, in in terms of you know, if we look at Islam once again, uh, uh, Imran, what can we say about this? So Islam is not uh, limited to the body and uh, the house. Rather, Muslims are commanded to clean the path for others and to remove any items which uh, may cause some someone pain or injury. Uh, by ensuring this, the environment also remains clean. So the, the there is a saying of the Holy Prophet mm-hmm. and uh, it which he stated that. Uh, uh, in which he stated uh, stated a golden rule. Uh, he said, "Don't waste water, even if they are, even if you were by a running river." Mm. This is because water is the origin of life, as the Holy Quran says uh, that uh, we made from water every living thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so Islam emphasizes on on your surrounding and uh, to saving safeguard of of your environment. And uh, um, there's another saying of the Holy Prophet وسلم, in which he say, says that um, um, care for the cleanness of the environment even extend, extended to uh, situations where individuals need to relieve themselves. Although we must take uh, into account that uh, there were no conventional toilets in that era, still his instruction are valid today mm, exactly so, so you yeah. know just that idea of urinating Uning, yeah. having waste going into the yeah. water it's going uh, and if you think in the time of the holy prophet yeah. peace and blessings be upon him um yes you know even i remember growing up in uh, as a kid but going back to hong kong we didn't have uh, a sewage system uh in the new territories mm-hmm. so we would use the waterways right okay uh but you know, you would know to actually be downstream. You wouldn't throw rubbish, excessive rubbish into into the waterways. It would be kind of like uh, going down to the main river, the Pearl Delta, and it would be dissipated, you know. But yeah. uh, I don't think that that is the case today. Yeah. Uh, to speak more regarding this, we're now joined by uh, our next guest of the day, which is uh, Mark Lloyd, who is the CEO at the Rivers Trust. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Peace and blessings be upon you, Mark. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Salam alaikum. Uh, Welcome, <laughs> salam. So, um, we're talking about you know a very very big issue, right? This uh, you know the pollution uh, of our of our rivers and our beaches, um, and it's actually you know permitted by the government, unfortunately. Now, you know, can you just tell our listeners uh, and myself, you know, a li- a, you know briefly about your organisation? Uh, and how you actually work for uh, the cleaner waterways in this country. Yeah, sure. I mean, the Rivers Trust uh, network is is really a network of local organisations which have sprung up from groups of people who are really worried about the condition of, of their local river, and mm-hmm. they've done something about it by forming charities at a, at a regional scale. Um, and we now have 60 um, local trusts across the UK and Ireland so the Rivers Trust is the umbrella body for all of them, and they're all uh, dedicated to restoring um, healthy rivers. Um, we have a particular focus on restoring nature, nature-based solutions, um, because river, uh, rivers are really a product of their whole catchment area. So we're focused on trying to restore healthy soils, planting more trees, restoring wetlands. I mean, we've lost 90% of the wetlands in, in this country, and they're really important for processing pollution and um, and providing habitat. And, and also sorting out the rivers themselves, getting rid of dams and weirs 
um, which prevent the rivers functioning naturally. So we're, we're very focused on data um, and doing some advocacy to government, but really about collaborating, getting le- all the parties together in a, in a particular river catchment, getting them to work together to try and find solutions to the many problems facing our rivers. Mm-hmm. I think Imran's got a question for you here, Mark. Um, hi, Mark. So, hi there. Hi. Um, very recently, um, pollution warnings um, for dozens of uh, beaches in England and Wales were issued after water companies discharged untreated uh, uh, sewage and uh, wastewater um, into the sea. In your opinion, what are the major reasons behind this? Well, in this country, we have something called a, a combined um, sewage system. So it means that all the water that runs off, um, <clears throat> excuse me, roads and, and pavements and roofs and all other hard surfaces goes into the same pipe that everything from our toilets and sinks uh, goes into from our houses. Mm-hmm. So when it rains, all, all of that water rushes off those surfaces and fills up the pipes and um, really they only have one way to go, which is out into a river or, or, or into, the, into the sea because there's a, there's a limited capacity in the pipe and there's also a limited capacity at sewage treatment works to process all, all that um, you know, water um, which is mixed up with sewage. So really there's a fundamental problem with the way that we've designed our, our sewage system and mm-hmm. if we could go back 300 years we would not design it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we designed it we, we didn't have such a large area of, of, of hard surfaces but that's grown up over the years um, without us um, um, increasing the capacity of, of the sewerage system. So really it's a sort of fundamental problem with the sewerage system and also the amount of hard surfaces that we have um, everywhere in society. Mm. So Mark, I mean, I'm going to chuck a question out of you. Okay, you're, you're from the Rivers Trust, but in terms of the water companies, how hard would it be for them then to actually uh, come up with a alternative uh, system? Because the waterways, or sorry, the you know, say, say for instance, the uh, system to take away the sewerage and the water, uh, you know, kind of rainwater, uh, the channels are there. Wouldn't I mean? I wouldn't say it would be an easy job, but to replace that and have a dual system. Yeah, um, you know, the, they've done some work to try and cost out how much um, that would um, be to do, um, and you know, some of the highest estimates were in the hundreds of billions of, of pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know there are there are things that could be done. You know, when pipes need to be replaced, they could be replaced with a with a with a with a uh, separated system. But I mean, there are certain simple things that you could do um, to to address this um, by removing the automatic right to connect drains to the sewer, so that that they have to put in a new drainage system so that the the water from hard surfaces don't go into the sewers whenever you do new developments but also redesigning our cities mm-hmm. i mean you could achieve multiple benefits um by by doing that if you sort out the sewage system or, or just build much larger concrete storm tanks at um sewage treatment works you're only addressing one problem mm-hmm. but we've got lots of problems facing our natural environment um and really we we face such urgency in dealing with all those problems that we should deal with them all in one go. And it feels to me that we could have a massive uh, towns and cities 
to slow the flow of water, make them into much, nat- much more nature-rich places. Um, and this has been done um, around the world with sort of creation of sponge cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing it in China on a large scale. And it would have multiple benefits for, for society. You'd have more nature in our cities, more green spaces for people to enjoy. It would cool down our urban areas because you could put lots of trees in, in these areas. It would also help with flooding problems, which are becoming uh, ever more prevalent with climate change. And, of course, you get fewer overflows and, and lots of um, green jobs for people, um, you know, building these lovely nature areas, which are, are huge soakaways in, in our cities. So I think by doing that, you could, you could invest quite large sums, but you could justify it because it was achieving lots of different objectives rather than just addressing this problem of sewage overflows. Mm, because I suppose if you think about the end goal, and uh, you quoted like hundreds of billions uh, in costing to, to achieve um, new waterways, which would separate uh, rainwater from, um, you know, from sewerage. Uh, but ultimately, you know, because maybe it's such a deterrent to the water companies that you know this is a huge cost you know let's kick that can further down the you know down the road and not address that system um but i mean you know in terms of profits there's there's you know the companies are making you know uh, i think quoted you know the around about 2.8 billion uh a, a year currently so you know it's not as if there there isn't um money in the system to, well, I say in the system, but money for the companies to actually reinvest in the infrastructure. Yes, and um, you know, companies do do spend uh, quite a bit on on investment um, as it is. But I think that investment needs to be spent much more intelligently mm-hmm. and in a much more coordinated way with other objectives like nature recovery networks and flood risk management. Um, and um, you know, leveling up our, our our cities, and you know, there are a lot of a lot of other initiatives going on, which we could link up the the expenditure by the water companies, and you know, one could argue that could be greater, and they could make smaller profits. You know, it's it's a complicated world of finance in in, in water companies, but certainly you know that that potential is there. Mm. Um, and and so you know, more investment from water companies, they you know might mean putting up. Um, water bills um, uh, a bit as well, um, um, but joining that investment up with lots of other um, initiatives going on to to improve society and having something which delivers a, a holistic solution. Mm. I mean, and this is more the carrot as opposed to the stick. Now, I'm going to talk about the stick, right? So, mm. yeah, are you actually satisfied with how the government is tackling the issue of this uh, untreated water being dumped into our waterways and beaches? I mean, what more could be done, you know, in your opinion, in terms of uh, punitive measures uh, for for the water companies? Well, yes, it does feel like the the two regulators, there's Offwash, which is the economic regulator, mm-hmm. and the Environment Agency, which is the environmental regulator, does feel like they haven't got the resources they need to, you know, take on these multi-billion pound companies. Um, and it, it does feel like there, there hasn't been enough rigour in the way that they are being... Um, and they're being regulated over the years um, because of that. And, um, you know, we would like to see them better resourced um, to do that job um, more effectively. But also, you know, someone to to kind of get a grip and, and provide a really coherent plan 
at a, at a local and a regional and a national scale for how we can bring together all these efforts to, to sort of, you know, really get a grip over our nature and water systems, which are so intrinsically interlinked, um, to, to, you know, provide some clarity of objectives. We seem to deal with everything in little individual pots rather than looking at the, the system as a whole and taking a systems approach to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, I've got a question, another question for you. Um, at, um, no one accepts um, river water to be drinking, to be of drinking standard. But uh, there is a serious public um, risk, health risk, uh, resulting uh, from raw sewage from storm overflow flows being released into our um, waterways. What advice would you uh, give to the people who would like to enjoy water sports in British waters? Sure, it can feel very gloomy um and you know we do have a lot of uh, we do have a lot of problems in a lot of our rivers but and 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 seas but you know i swim regularly i surf i go fishing you know I, i i love enjoying water sports and there are lots of places you can do it there are obviously risks involved in that and um you know on the rivers trust website we have a, a sewage map which shows where the the you know the really bad problems are with um stormwater overflows which Um, and surfers against sewage have a have a map as well, which covers the the coastline, which is um, you know provides live updates when there are big spills. Mm-hmm. So you can find out where those overflows occur regularly, and obviously in rivers, swim upstream of them, and avoid swimming after rainfall as well. I mean, it should mm-hmm. be really exceptional rainfall, but these these things happen fairly regularly. So mm-hmm. avoid after rainfall. Um, and you know, if you're if you're not sure if there's a funny smell to the water or, or discoloration, you know, keep your head above the water, or, or maybe think think uh, um, about going going somewhere else. And I mean, ultimately, you know, it would be great if people supported their their local rivers trust, and, and mm-hmm. we provide a, a map of those on on our website because, you know, we're we're out there gathering the data, doing the practical work to try and solve some of these these deep seated issues. So we we'd really welcome people's support. Mm. I mean, how can we show that support? Is it kind of uh, you know, whether we you know look on your website, join the website, or join you know the rivers trust? How can we? Um, you know, just as a collective, um, actually voice our opinion uh, and actually, you know, try and kind of join hands to, to save our, our rivers and waterways. Yeah, I mean, it would be, you know, we we always need um, need money to do be able to do more. So donations are, are really, really helpful. But mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, also writing to MPs is is very powerful. Um, you know, we've, we've had a few campaigns where we've got people to write to their local MP and it really does make a big difference. And, um, you know, we've managed to get stronger legislation through and, and, and more plans and more investment. And this is becoming quite a strong political issue now. Mm-hmm. And we have an election coming up in a couple of years time. And, um, and, and when we um, uh, when, you know, when we have that election, water quality and sewage is, is likely to be an electoral issue. So the more that MPs hear from um, their constituents that this is important to them and they want something done about it, you know, the more money we can get, the, the more regulation we can have and the faster we can see um, positive change to, to clean up our, our rivers and, and beaches once and for all. Mm, excellent. Uh, well, Mark, thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Have a good afternoon. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. 
0208-687-7878 or uh, tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. And, you know, this thing, you know, the both of the marks, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, now Mark from the uh, Rivers Trust, mm-hmm. you know, we do need to, you know, support our environment. I mean, we've seen, you know, the devastation. And it's, it's not one of those things that uh, I think, uh, Imran, that is not happening anymore. And what I mean by that is climate change. Mm-hmm. And we've seen just in this country, um, you know, the, you know, that prolonged summer period, right? Uh, and, you know, we feel it in the sense that, oh, my God, you know, we've got a couple of nights of, you know, it's really uncomfortable to sleep in, mm-hmm. right? But if we look further afield, you look at Pakistan, yeah. uh, due to the glacial melt mm-hmm. that is uh, occurring there because of climate change, um, you know, a third of the country is underwater now. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, you're you're right, and uh, it's really affecting uh, our planet. Uh, and uh, look at the high temperature we faced in this um, uh, season in the mm-hmm. UK. I mean, it was mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never seen something like that. In um, and uh, obviously, it's affecting uh, other parts of the world. Mm. And uh, we should we need to you know focus more. Need to more focus on this issue. Mm. I mean, and that's that, that's the problem because mm-hmm. you know the industrial world as we know it mm-hmm. uh, is paying a certain price in terms of climatic change. Uh, say here in the UK, we're seeing these prolonged periods of heat yeah. uh, during the summertime where we've not seen it before. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, we you know, we saw you know temperatures exceeding. I mean, I've never seen a temperature hit almost forty degrees yeah. in the UK, yeah. right? Uh, but you know, in parts of Europe, all through the summertime, uh, you know, you had protracted uh, periods of time where you're hitting in the 40s. Mm-hmm. So if I were to say to you, Imran, oh yeah, you know what, that's uh, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't bat an eyelid. Mm-hmm. But if I would say to you, yeah, that's in France, right? That's in Greece. That's mm-hmm. in Spain. Um, you know, these Mediterranean countries, and it's not just the heat, but obviously what comes with the heat. And what came with the heat was, you know, forest fires. Yeah. Uh, and they became uncontrollable. Same with uh, here in the UK. Yeah. But I, I think I'm kind of like uh, digressing, really. <laughs> I'm going on to more kind of mm-hmm. climate change. Mm-hmm. But if we... And and one of the... the if I bring it back to mm-hmm. just say, for instance, in the UK, and we're talking about the sewage system, you know, we need to remember, and I think Mark said 300 years ago, right? Yeah. So our system was, well, designed back in time, of you know, back in the Roman times. So okay. it was just a case of, right, okay, the foundation, or let, let's say the blueprint mm-hmm. was already there. Let's just put better um, materials, just, yeah, right? True, yeah. uh, better kind of like uh, ways and means of transporting the sewerage to the seas, to the rivers, Um, But there was never any idea of having, say, for instance, what Mark was saying, Mm -hmm. uh, an overall picture of how your city should be developed. So this idea of sponge cities, yeah, and having these green areas within cities, Mm -hmm. you can only imagine it must be a better way to live anyway, right? Um, Plus, that's helping you and the environment Mm -hmm. uh, together. But if we look at the actual history of the sewer system, yeah, uh, so uh, you know, since, uh, well, for most of human civilization, you know, sa- uh, sanitation 
was managed in a dry form. Uh, when people visited a latrine, their waste ended up in a drainage pit below a cesspit, or, or a cesspit, I should say, nearby. Now, this all changed about 150 uh, years ago in the Victorian era. Uh, when the water closet arrived, water, toilet waste no longer filled a pit that someone had to empty. It magically disappeared with a pull of a chain. <laughs> uh, hence the the UCWC, the water closet, right? Mm -hmm. So London's water use in 1850 nearly doubled in six years uh, as waste was carried through the uh, rudimentary sewers and open drains into the Thames. Two years later, in 1858, the effect of uh, these raw sewage discharges was felt or fully felt during the Great Stink, uh, when the Thames was so odorous, uh, it forced Parliament to stop meeting <laughs> during to the, you know, due wow. to that smell. Uh, some would say Parliament stinks anyway, but you know <laughs> it, it hasn't changed much. Uh, the solution came from the engineer Sir Joseph Basilgate, uh, who uh, designed a integrated sewer system to carry untreated waste and rainwater from across London. Further down the Thames, uh, further down the Thames, where it was dumped via two outfalls. Now, this was one of the largest engineering works of the time, with over uh, 1,100 miles of street sewers, 82 miles of mains sewers, and four pumping stations installed. Direct river outflows were later replaced by sewage treatment plants. Ever since, uh, we have been trying to patch and alter a system that continues to age and be overwhelmed. Uh, and once again, you know, yeah, we're here at the Voice of Islam, mm -hmm. so you know we we try and look at things from an Islamic viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, are there any you know kind of like pointers there for us, Imran? Yeah. So um, according to Islam, humans are entrusted to look after the earth. Uh, it is our duty to repair and protect it, as um, the Holy Quran says. Verily, we have made all that is on the earth as an ornament for it that we may try them as to which of them is best in conduct. Uh, this is from uh, chapter 18, verse 8. So, um, um, the, uh, the re relating hadith of the Holy Prophet um, in which he says, removing harmful things from the road is an act of charity. And uh, there is another saying of the Holy Prophet in which he says, um, uh, he says to um, conserve energy, he said, uh, turn off the lamps if you want to lay down, close your doors, tie the mouths of your water skins and uh, cover the food and drink. So from this we know that uh, Islam really teaches us to uh, safeguard our surrounding and environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the waste of energy is like uh, um, in our country and uh, all over the world is one of the biggest problem mm. um, of the um, environment crisis. Mm, exactly. So, yeah, it's just yeah. being so wasteful. Yeah. Um, and it just adds to the problem, really. Yeah. You know, if everyone... And sometimes I think we feel that actually these these uh, problems or these issues that we have are just too huge and overwhelming for us to actually change anything, yeah. right? Because if you think, oh, you know what? We've had this system for 150 yeah. years, right? It was uh, designed then. How are we supposed to ever change it? And I can understand that, you know, you know you've got a city on top of all these sewers yeah. and, and uh, um, you know, the, this whole system, system right? Yeah. So how are you supposed to get to it? How yeah. are you supposed to renew it? But, you know, we live in the 21st century now. There mm. must be a way. And, okay, it's a bit 
you know, the saying, you know, the horse is already bolted mm-hmm. comes to my mind as to the fact that, you know, since the privatization of water companies, the v- level of investment mm-hmm. that they've put back into the system mm-hmm. has decreased. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think Mark was quoting, you know, the, the, you know they've had these uh, estimates of 100 billion mm-hmm. to replace these yeah. water systems. But, you know, you don't approach, from my opinion, uh, that kind of um, project, right, that infrastructure project straight away. Yeah. You don't say, right, okay, we're going to do that. It's going to cost 100 billion uh, and we're going to do... You you know, if, say, for instance, from the point of privatization, um, the water companies had, you know, just on a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So say, for instance, you know, you're, you, you, know you, you have a grand scheme of, okay, over 20 years, we will replace yeah. the whole of the water system, right? The whole of the sewerage mm-hmm. system. But we're not going to do it overnight. Yeah. So it's going to be over 20 years. So each year we're going to put so much, yeah, like let's put, you know, a billion, Half mm. our half our profits into yeah. that, right? So even then, okay, maybe you haven't achieved that hundred billion, mm. but over twenty years, you've you put will, twenty uh, billion back into the yeah. system. So that at least the system is twenty mm. billion pound worth of investment better off yeah. than it is today. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, you, you're saying that uh, we have to start from somewhere, from yeah. uh, from, and uh, bit by bit, eventually we'll we'll reach our goals. So, mm. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, and Chairman Mao, yeah, yeah. Uh, the leader of the, the then com- well, the the Communist uh, Party in China, mm-hmm. uh, where he was chased actually, you know, in the in the early 1930s, right? He was mm-hmm. being chased by the nationalists. You know, China wasn't a communist country at that time; it was a nationalist country, mm-hmm. and I think uh, he had a hundred thousand in his party, in his army, right? Mm. So they were totally outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And he said to all those who were following him, "So you know, now begins the long march. Mm. Um, you know, um, with each long march, you start with one step. Okay. And ultimately, you know, by the end of it, you'll get to your destination. But don't look at the destination yeah. because that in itself may." make you falter yeah, right absolutely and with that okay his army was decimated <laughs> i think he ended up with you know so, over so many years they were chased mm-hmm. um and fighting and fighting and fighting but ultimately china became a communist society right mm-hmm. and he won that you know that war so you know in relating that to our listeners out there mm-hmm. um we might think that okay maybe we can't you know the the, the problem is just too big now yeah. right we can't solve that problem yeah. but you know if we all were to uh collectively you know just do something simple uh write to your mp and say look you know what the state of our waterways is disgusting mm-hmm. right this is you know this is not just hurting ourselves this is hurting the environment this is where we live. This is where my children are going to be. You know, our future generations. You know, what are we doing to our to our our, our world, really? And you know, try and make a change in that way. Yeah. You know? I mean, are there any? I mean, if if we look at it, yeah. Um, you know, even yeah, the other countries have actually complained regarding uh, the 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 quality. And if we just have a quick look at uh, how. The data shows, yeah, the data shows that water quality in the British seas and rivers is worse than most European countries. Wow. 
2021 uh, European data on bathing water quality finds that across the EU member states, 85% of coastal and river bathing sites have excellent water quality in terms of bacteria, pollution and sewage presence. Uh, Austria, Croatia, Greece boast even cleaner waters with 95% of bathing sites ranked excellent in 2021. In the same year, uh, data issued by DEFRA showed that just 70% of uh, of the UK's 419 bathing sites were considered excellent. Uh, just five European countries, uh, Albania, Estonia, Hungary, Poland and Slovakia have worse water quality than in Britain. So, you know, in conclusion, uh, you know, during a online meeting held with Indonesia's life devotees in January, His Holiness, uh, Mizu Mazru Ahmed, uh, may Allah uh, strengthen his hand, uh, insightly responded to a question on climate change. He stated, climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world, especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations have developed, uh, are developing new residential areas and because of this, forests are being cut and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. So you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. Fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to the other and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to that place, they use their motorbike or car. In this way, pollution is increasing. There are so many other uh, factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we, must ha uh, we have to be very careful, although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. The comprehensive teachings and the guidance of Islam are sufficient to save mankind from all its environmental problems and to safeguard the magnificent trove we have been bestowed. So with that, we're going to finish the first hour. Here is the five o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings to our listeners out there. Welcome back to the Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. You're here live with myself, Taliban, and Imam Imran Akram. And so we've just uh, finished our first hour talking about the uh, really kind of disgusting situation, actually, <laughs> um, which is uh, which is with us regarding our rivers, uh, waterways, and the raw sewerage that uh, is being pumped in there. Uh, so we're going to talk about another actual um, issue the concept of, in our second hour, the concept of interest and inflation and something which is affecting everybody uh, currently, not just in this country uh, with inflation and the cost of uh, living crisis, but uh, globally. And um, if, I, if I just play you an audio clip to start off with, it gives you a bit of a, a foundation as to uh, where we're going with this. The bank rate system has direct bearing with the prices and values. And it, the relationship is now growing into a mechanical relationship. Take half a percent or one percent and uh, it would show its effect on the values and prices in the market. So they are like a machine, move one part the other parts of the machine are connected through wheels and things. So, however slight may be the effect on the wheel on the other end, but still it would move. It would not remain in the same position. 
Similarly, the modern economy is like a highly developed machine and the central wheel of the economy is the interest. This is why in, in uh, connection with all the modern financial problems, you always hear that because America has raised her interest rate, so this is what is happening to Germany. And because Japan has not lowered the interest rate, so this is what is happening to, to Africa and uh, European economy and so on and so forth. So, they are continents apart, yet a small fluctuation in the interest rate is adversely affecting or favorably affecting the economy of some other country and their own as well, of course. So those were the words of the fourth Khalifa, uh, the, His Holiness uh, Mirza Tahir Ahmed. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. Uh, and, you know, we hear the terms interest rates and inflation uh, so frequently these days. Um, and they're always accompanied, well, they always, these, these words come out uh, more and more frequently uh, during, you know, times of economic hardship. Now, these concepts are discussed more in the news and in the media, uh, as we've seen. It's interesting, though, that a lot of people who are directly impacted by the fluctuations and changes in these aspects uh, of our economies actually don't understand what these things really are. I mean, Imran, what is interest? And so um, interest is the monetary charge for the privilege of uh, borrowing money, typically uh, expressed as an annual percentage rate. Uh, which is um, APR. So interest is the amount of uh, money uh, a lender or a owner or a financial institute receive from lending out money. So, yeah, just uh, just the key factors. Mm. So the key factors affecting interest rates include the inflation rate, uh, length of time the money is actually borrowed, liquidity, uh, the the liquidity being how easy it is to actually get that money, mm-hmm. and the risk of default. Uh, now, interest is an ancient practice. Uh, however, social norms from the ancient Middle Eastern civilizations uh, to medieval times uh, regarded charging interest on loans as a kind of sin. And we know this in Islam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this was due in part because loans were made to people in need uh, and there was no product other than money being uh, made in the act of loaning assets with interest. Now, the logic applied by the Bank of England is that the higher interest rates or the higher the interest rates make it more expensive for money to borrow, uh, for people, I should say, to borrow money. Uh, And so they are actually uh, encouraged to save. Now, the result of of this is that uh, overall people will tend to spend less, Mm -hmm. save more. Uh, if people spend less on goods and services overall, then the price of those things tend to rise more slowly. Uh, uh, slower prices, uh, price rises mean a lower rate of inflation. Um, inflation is calculated by the Office of National Statistics, the ONS, every month. And they do this by recording the cost of over 700 things that people regularly buy. Um, the basket includes everyday things like uh, bread, a uh, bus ticket, but it also includes much larger items like a car and a holiday. Now, the price of this basket tells us the overall uh, price level, the CPI. Uh, to calculate the rate of inflation, the cost of this basket is compared with that uh, 
the same basket of goods a year ago. The change in the price level over the year is the rate of inflation. Now, if uh, interest rates rise, borrowing could become more expensive for you, whether uh, you are looking to get a mortgage, to buy a house or a new car on credit. It's crucial to think about what higher costs mean for you. And that's not just about you thinking about buying a house, a new house. You could have a mortgage, mortgage mm -hmm. currently. Yeah. So we know that uh, bank base rates have been at zero for the past, I don't know, as long as I can remember, until recently. Mm -hmm. So currently we're looking at, I think, a rate of inflation of... Uh, definitely over 10%, oh. maybe about 10.6% uh, from the last I heard. And that is 8.6% or roughly 8% over what the government's target is or the Bank of England's target yeah. is. So this idea of just um, increasing interest rates, maybe that's not working. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk more about it uh, as regards uh, to interest. We've got our first guest on the line. So we're joined today by... Uh, Mr. Mansur Zia, and uh, he is a professor at Jamia uh, UK Ahmadiyya. Assalamu alaikum. Peace, uh, peace and blessings be upon you, uh, Mansur. Thank you for joining us on the Drive Time Show today. Walaikum uh, assalam wa Thank you very much for having me. Mm -hmm. So, where, you know, let's 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 look at it in terms or, or interest. Let's look at interest uh, in terms of uh, you know the Islamic viewpoint right so if you can tell our listeners out there what is the definition of the Ara arabic word riba um actually you know the basically uh the people uh, today they they just think that um the urdu word sood or the english words uh, interest or sometimes the word usury that is used uh, to define the riba but we need to understand the concept of riba that mm. why it was uh, you know why was it forbidden at the time of the holy prophet sallallahu and until now uh, it has been uh, an unlawful practice and forbidden by the holy quran mm. why it is important so okay. first we need to i mean um, apart from the terminology we shouldn't go into the deep into the terminology what does that mean or basically riba means that to increase something, mm -hmm. increase the wealth of something, I mean, in someone, and by unlawful means, basically. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and by, you know, using other people or exploiting other people, or you can say uh, that uh, sometime, you know, they basically you want to increase your wealth. But at the cost uh, of someone else. By, yes. yes, and by taking advantage of other people's misfortune or mm -hmm. anything like that, you know. Right. So this is, you know, Islam is a very clear religion, or you can say this is um, this is a religion that wants to create a brotherhood, mm -hmm. and brotherhood, like you know, that uh, that we should be so um, uh, sympathized to other people that one person should not. Uh, uh, you know, transgress other other one or mm -hmm. have any kind of tyranny on a, other um, other person. So mm -hmm. basically, this is the reason that Islam forbids uh, to um, you know to indulge in this vice or this uh, this bad habit of 
taking or giving uh, riba or sood or what, whatever we say mm-hmm. so the basic thing is that create a society that is peaceful and uh, a society that is you know that is not basically uh, unethical in any way or mm-hmm. immoral in any way so now let's l- have a look that what was the time of the holy prophet sallam was the definition of riba okay so one of the definition i found out in a hadith very you know elaborately holy prophet sallam has said that kullu the i will read the arabic wording kullu qardin jarra manfa'atan fa huwa riban that any kind of loans that brings a profit it is a it is an interest it is interest or usury or riba the word riba okay. is used here mm-hmm. okay and with this you know when we uh, ponder over more so in this time and era and the promised messiah alayhi salatu wasalam has also defined that what is uh, according to the sharia what is the uh, definition of sood what is the definition of riba he said you know he said interest is defined in the sharia as a person lending money to another for his own benefit mm-hmm. i mean he he doesn't have any benefit himself i mean uh, to the other person he is not intending to give any kind of benefit to the other person but he is lending money just for the sole reason that he wants to increase his wealth mm-hmm. so the lending money to another for his own benefit and then he sets or fixes the benefit amount mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for example sometime set the um, apr or anything like that you know or increase in apr and set a limit about that so that if that limit has been set so that limit should not be in exchange of uh, commodity or quantity that is let me explain this also that is only obtained in consideration of money and there is no chance of loss at all mm-hmm. so I mean, so, so say for instance if i if i could interject there man so if i were to make a loan to someone and yeah. actually just say look you know what just pay me back the loan so say for instance for argument's sake 100 pounds yeah and i say look you know what just pay me back the 100 pounds uh in 10 years time that's perfectly yeah. fine right Yeah. It's just the idea of like if I were to say, look, if I uh loan you 100 pounds, but yeah. then in 10 years time you have to pay me back 110 pounds. Yeah. Then that would be transgressing, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I let me I mean, I also want my listeners to to understand the difference between, you know, uh, today's monetary issues or today the paper money especially you know mm-hmm. uh, the thing about the paper money and the thing about the commodity or the asset. quantity of something mm-hmm. that is the assets yeah. yeah so these are two different things uh, you know some people sometimes they confuse this definition with the rent you know mm-hmm. um, for example just for the sake of argument i have a house okay mm-hmm. i have a house i own a house and i am renting my house to another person or i own a car and i am renting my car to another person you know now i have a a solid thing 
I, I have an asset. Yes, asset, a solid thing. That is not just a paper money or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. the, that that uh, the only bank can evaluate or the bank can has the value, uh, um, um, can determine the value of that thing. Okay. Now, the value of my thing, I mean, my house or value of my car would be determined by the market itself. Mm-hmm. So, the, when the this value is determined by market, so when I will... You know, I, this is also a kind of lending my car to someone. I'm giving my car on, on a rent, so it means I'm lending my car to someone. Now I'm asking for a fixed price. That, okay, for, um, for example, if you are taking my car for, uh, for, for example, one week, I would charge you 800 pounds, for example. Mm-hmm. Now then it's a fixed but we can't say that this fixed amount is a is a fall riba. under the category of riba. Mm-hmm. No, it does not fall under the category of riba. That is a very you know minute difference. Sometimes people okay. just mm-hmm. ignore this difference, and they said that um, if you, you if you are doing that, it means this is a, mm-hmm. this is riba. You know, some sometimes so, these people go extreme in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so so, so Mansur. Yes. I'm going to give yes. you an example now. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball, right? Using your 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 analogy here. So, say for instance, I am the house owner, right? I rent yeah. out the house to someone, and they pay me rent. Okay, yeah. so um, that's fine, right? That is that yeah. falls. That that's not a type of uh, interest usury. That, that is not interest, although okay. you are you are receiving a fixed amount of the yeah. rent, although you are using, uh, using the fixed amount. Right? Okay, so, so, so here is the curveball. What if I have borrowed money from a bank to purchase that house? Yes, here, now. <laughs> now come, yeah. What if happens that, now? This is, this, you, you have rightly mentioned that now here is the time of the you know, comes that we can say that this is riba. Right. You know why? You are, in today, we can say that you are taking loan from a bank, and again, it falls under the category, as I have mentioned in the hadith, that, that anything you are borrowing, and then you are giving uh, back your debt, paying your debt, and an increased amount of. So we can say, that a paper money cannot be rented out. Mm-hmm. Only a, com- a, a commodity or asset can be rented out. Okay. So the paper money or the, the, what the bank gives you a loan, it is, it is basically, uh, you can say, uh, it, and it, uh, you know, it fixes the rate of interest first, first time, it, it, it fixes the rate for two years, interest rate or three so years, whatever. So, so you're saying that you cannot make uh, money from a paper money. That's what you're saying, right? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Paper money, I mean, there are a lot of risk of uh, of uh, involving riba or um, this interest in paper money. So mm-hmm. we need to avoid that. And that is clearly, clearly falls under the category of riba. Mm-hmm. Because if we take loan from the bank and then we return it, and that is totally a riba thing, mm-hmm. and that is not like a rented thing. Mm-hmm. 
So the paper money cannot be rented out. Mm. So this is, I mean, or or it can be go rent. Mm. So this is, I want my listener to just listen to these, I mean, very minute things and uh, just differentiate between it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, no, I think I think you've made that very very clear, Mansur. Uh, what if though, say for instance, because you know uh, in the UK, you know it's a West, you know it's a, you know we're in the West here. We're not in an Islamic uh, society uh, or country here. So the use of interest in banks and financial organizations is you know is commonplace over here. Now, what? You know, if a Muslim actually earns interest on any savings which they have with their bank, I mean, uh, you know, what should he then do with this interest? First of all, uh, I mean, you have rightly, you know, uh, mentioned this question. Uh, there is a, a prophecy by the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mm-hmm. that uh, once the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam has said that a time will come when people, I mean every one of them will consume usury or they will consume this interest or riba so the people asked that um, that uh, oh holy prophet sallam that even the believers so they all they will also consume usury so at mm-hmm. that at that time prophet sallallahu sallam has said that i mean there won't be left a person even the believer they will also be affected by its dust. Mm-hmm. So that means that uh, a time will come that everyone basically uh, will consume it, but the believer, they will, uh, they will try to get rid of that system, but the dust would come just as you are, you know, passing by and there is dust in the air, so you, you cannot avoid that. Mm-hmm. So the, this thing would be like, you know, dust, in the air so um, at, at, at that time you know our promised Messiah he has uh, you know set some examples and he has said that um, <clears throat> if uh, if you have to get an interest um, from somewhere mm-hmm. and it is like a compulsory thing or something that you can't avoid it mm-hmm. then you know uh, give it into um, uh, for for the sake of Allah the Almighty, and in Ahmadiyya we have uh, a special uh, branch for that that is called Madde Ishate Islam okay. to spread the message of Islam. We have that uh, special branch for that, okay. uh, in in which you can uh, give your you know any kind of interest that has you have been received by forcefully you have received it. You can um, give that interest into that uh, branch. But, okay. you know, the thing is, there is also, you know, we can say a little bit different. Sometimes, uh, whatever we get from, you know, from our uh, government, mm-hmm. so whatever we get from the government, that is not, that uh, does not fall uh, fall under the category of riba okay. or interest. Okay. And I, I, I will give you an example. You know, the student loan. Mm-hmm. In in UK, mm-hmm. uh, the student loan has been given to uh, provided to the people of the, our students, and they are they they say that we are giving you this loan just to study. Actually, this is a great help help from the government side. Okay. So if the government is providing, but they are providing on the condition that if by any chance 
you are able to uh, you know achieve enough wealth so you can return that or otherwise if you don't want to then i mean that that's all right i mean it is not compulsory for example if people doesn't uh, don't have enough means to return to that money so they are exempted to pay from the, that student loan mm-hmm. so the you know uh, that's why has the promise messiah islam has very rightly mentioned that government is like a motherly body so whatever government gives you that does not fall under the category of um rebuy uh, or interest okay. anything like that okay mm. Jazakallah, so sub. That leads to our next question, which is um, that: um, How does a Muslim manage if they are to take a loan on which uh, interest is owed? How can a Muslim uh, manage? Uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't get the question. Sorry. So the the question is: How does a Muslim manage if they are to take a loan on which interest is owed? So if he's taking, uh, if he wants to take a loan from a bank. but he has to pay pay back uh, interest how can he manage this actually situation? you know actually um as discussed in the beginning it is an unlawful thing okay and uh, we should avoid it because allah taala has said that mm, uh, this thing is um, haram and mm-hmm. unlawful so we should avoid it first of all okay and uh, we we should pray to allah the almighty that allah taala never Uh, never ever uh, test us with the situation that we have to take any kind of lo- loan from the bank or any uh, from any other uh, you know any other body mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we need to pray to allah almighty and uh, promise me sai alaihi has also written that a pious person it, it would uh, allah taala would you know would not let him go into that site mm-hmm. and the uh, i mean um Uh, and he would be uh, he, he wouldn't be indulged in that kind of vice basically okay. but if somehow but, it but, is but what no about uh, if i can interject there uh, what about for instance you know a mortgage to buy a house okay yeah that's an interesting question actually because again, obviously more, you know houses are so expensive now yeah. and you can't yeah. afford to buy them outright so then you know it really is you know a, a need to loan that money to through a mortgage to, mm-hmm. to purchase a house actually you know uh, we need to understand this mortgage system or the lease system uh, a little bit more in the sense we need to explain it you know in the in the holy quran allah taala says that anything or um, let me just um, make clear that there is a thing that is that is called that a person who is an owner or proprietor of a thing it is his uh, responsibility or it is up it is up to him that how he is basically um what is he what is he demanding for his uh, commodity or his uh, return um, his mm-hmm. asset return in return so it is up to him so uh hazrat promise messiah alaihissalam has rightly mentioned that anything you know uh, any proprietor any owner has the full right to determine the price of its thing okay now we come to the mortgage in the mortgage system if the bank is owning that house mm-hmm. if the bank own the house and then uh, the bank is determining the price of that house 
or after the determining of that bank is uh, the facilitator, you can say. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, uh, bank has a right that if you don't pay the mortgage, it can confiscate it and then um, remortgage it and then, you know, pay you the money and then it can also give, um, uh, it can also, you know, uh, just to, just not to get into the loss, it, the bank can um, revive its money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in this case, uh, mortgage is a kind of, uh, uh, you can say, um, bank is the owner, owner of the house, and you are the tenant. Is, yes, you are a tenant, and bank is saying it is my duty or it is um, it is my right to determine the price or okay. what whenever you. If you want to buy this uh, house today, for example, the house, uh, you know, for example, the uh, the price of the house is uh, four hundred thousand, mm-hmm. uh, four hundred thousand pound. So the bank says that if you have enough money, four hundred thousand pound. Pay it right now. Okay. But if you don't, then you want to pay it in twenty years or twenty-five years. Then I would take, for example, six hundred thousand. For example, mm-hmm. so this is the this is my price. Mm-hmm. And if uh, you agree, so then go on. So because bank is the proprietor and owner, it has full, uh, you know, authority to determine the price. So, and that is lawful. That is not unlawful thing because um, uh, in, a, in a way, you know, uh, the Promised Messiah was asked the same question. Uh, you know, one of people, when a person asked that, oh, Promised Messiah, we, you know, um, when we give, uh, we, we are selling the paper of Al-Badr. So if a person pay us today, so we ask only one rupee, rupee, and if a person does not pay today, or they said that we want to pay it in six months, so then we ask for um, three uh, three rupees. Mm-hmm. So is it is it a kind of interest? The Promised Messiah has uh, stated the same statement that because you are uh, you are the proprietor of that news newspaper you have a full right to determine the price and if someone buys today buy it today so for for him it is one rupee and if someone uh, doesn't have enough money and they want to pay it later so because you are uh, you know you have to keep all the record and it is it is uh, it involves the efforts also mm-hmm. so definitely you, know, you can be paid for your efforts mm-hmm. okay so that payment, I mean, it is up to you that how much you want the payment of that effort. Mm-hmm. So you said that uh, those two pounds you are taking extra, these are your efforts. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, the bank, you know, they are putting a lot of investment in it and, and they are paying the or the people that who are employed for the, for the bank. So uh, they have to keep the record of all these things. So definitely if they are demanding demanding more, so they have full right to determine the price. Because mm, they are the proprietor. Mm-hmm. Well, Mansur uh, Zia Sharp, uh, thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. It's been a pleasure talking to you on the Drive Time Show. Exactly. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We're going to go straight to our next guest. 
Uh, we're now joined by uh, Dr. Wasim Khan, uh, who a, has a PhD in economics from the University of California, uh, Los Angeles, and a diploma in management from Stanford University in California also. Uh, his career has spanned over two decades as an investment banker working in the US, uh, Middle East, and the UK. Peace be upon you. Thank you for joining us on The Drive Time Show, Dr. Wasim. How are you? It's a pleasure for me to be here. Excellent. So we're talking about uh, the concept or the perception of what interest and inflation are in our society today. Now, how does one know what qualifies as interest and what does not? Sure. So interest, basically, um, if you uh, look at it technically, it's a composition of two things. Mm -hmm. It's what we call as a a real interest rate and uh, expected inflation. Uh, which will be the nominal interest rate. And nominal interest rate is a headline interest rate that you see around, which the mortgage companies would charge, the banks would charge, and so on and so forth, right? So what basically essentially is this, trying to separate the two is not easy and it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, most, um, most uh, Islamic scholars have decreed that we look at interest as one uh, concept rather than trying to separate the two and use that um, as, as, as interest. Now, what is interest? Interest is basically defined as a rent for parting with money, right? Mm-hmm. So just like when we uh, uh, rent a house, i.e. we borrow somebody's property and we live in it illegally, we pay a rent on that property. Similarly, when we borrow someone's money, we pay a rent on that money, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in case of renting money, the problem that has occurred in the past, and which is why interest rate is prohibited in Islam, is that renting this money and paying the rent on it has led to usury. Mm-hmm. And Islam does not like usury and prohibits usury. So in other words, basically what happens is, what is usury? Usury happens is in, 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 in the following manner. If I borrow money from a bank and I put it in a project, the project doesn't work. I'm unable to pay back that money to the bank, which is both principal and the interest, which is the profit that the bank charges, uh, the rent that the bank charges me for lending the money. I'm unable to pay. That rent continues to increase and it basically, you have rent on top of rent. So that is the usury side of things and that continues to build up and that burden continues to you know build up on me and i'm i have to pay now this is where the problem is that sometimes the borrower cannot get out of that spiral mm-hmm. needs help to get out of the spiral and when it cannot get out of the spiral then the borrower and his family effectively have to face social and financial consequences which uh, can be very, very devastating for that particular mm. individual Foreclosure. and their family. Mm-hmm. Foreclosure yeah. and people are out in the street, you know, they're yeah. homeless, they don't have a job, they don't have food, they don't have this. So all kinds of negative issues that you can think of can happen to that person. This is the reason why, it's usually is the reason why Islam has prohibited interest rate. Mm. Mm-hmm. So how would then, Dr. Wasim, how would an economic system work without the concept of interest? Because, you know, we live here in the UK. 
you've studied in the U.S. So you know those financial or those financial markets are based on interest. Sure. So essentially, here's the thing: the current economic system that we see either in the U.S. or or or, or, or the U.K. or Europe or everywhere in the world, this is a financial system that's based on interest rate, and this is a financial system that has evolved over the centuries into what it is today. It's not risk-proof. There are risks in it, and we continue to see those risks come up every eight to 10 years, every eight to 10 years. You had the 2008 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, you had the 2000 um, stock market crash, so on and so forth. So all continues to happen because it continues to be done. But this is a system which is based on interest rates but it does not have any, have any, any uh, underlying, uh, any religious underpinnings to it. Mm -hmm. The Islamic economic system has underpinnings of the religion in it because it's based upon the Sharia concept of Islam, mm -hmm. right, in Islam. So the Islamic economic system is based on profit and loss sharing. Okay. Right? So... As an alternative to the interest base, the profit and loss sharing system is given in Islam. So if I am the agent or I am the worker and you are the financier, you and I agree upon a particular project where I do all the labor, you provide the financing for that. Mm -hmm. And you and I agree on it before we start the project that any profit that we generate from this project, I will take, say, for example, 40%. As, my, as, 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 as remuneration for my services, for my hard work, and you as a financier, you get 60% of the profit. But if there's a loss, and this is important to understand, mm -hmm. if there's a loss, the loss is borne by the parties based upon the contribution of the capital. So if you have provided 100% of the capital, you bear that loss on the capital of 100%. Whereas I bear the loss of not being remunerated for my hard work, for my mm -hmm. sweat, and for my time that I've spent on it. Mm -hmm. So then, See? therefore, so, it's, 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 it's actually quite an equitable solution then. It's a very equitable solution as far mm -hmm. as that is concerned, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when we go into that project, you and I have to do the due diligence to make sure that we make this as a success. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, that the consequences will not be nice. Mm. Mm -hmm. In modern banking, they also do the same thing. When banks lend you money, be it a mortgage or be it as a financing for a particular equity financing for a particular project or something like that, they do the due diligence. They will make sure that this is a project that's going to be viable because they don't want to end up in a situation where you go through courts and stuff like that, right? And you also try to do the same thing. So everyone does the due diligence. Now, if everything goes fine and everything is hunky-dory, obviously you share the profit in that sense. Sharing the profit basically means that, you know, you pay back the, uh, the, the principal and the interest on that to the bank and whatever is left you keep. But in the case of a loss, the bank's not going to sit there and say, fine, you know, I take my lumps and I will bear all the loss on the capital. Mm -hmm. No, the bank will come up after you and say, okay, when we sign this project, remember, you signed a collateral mm -hmm. to back this loan. Mm -hmm. And the collateral was your your property, or the collateral was your land, or the collateral was your bank account. 
we need that now. Mm-hmm. So that is when people can't outpay their mortgage, the house gets repossessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imran? So that's, that's the difference between the Islamic and the, and the, and the conventional system. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jazakallah. So um, I've got a question for you. Um, we have recently seen the emergence of uh, Islamic banking in the Western world. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on these uh, institutions and do you think they are um, able to adhere to the principle laid out in Islam while still offering competitive uh, advantages to their clients as uh, compared to the other big banks? So, unfortunately, there's a huge gap between the theory and the practice of Islamic finance mm-hmm. uh, for several reasons. One reason, obviously, is that we do not live in an Islamic economic system. Mm-hmm. So for Islamic finance, which is a part of an economic system, for Islamic finance to function and flourish, you need to have an underlying economic system which is based on uh, the principles of Islamic finance or Sharia-based principles. Mm-hmm. So trying to run an Islamic bank in a conventional system is like to uh, push a square peg in a hole. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that. Now, a couple of the reasons why it is obvious is that, first of all, you do not have at this stage an Islamic financial system that's developed enough to have standard uh, principles. So, because Islam as a guidance, if you look at the Quran and the Sunnah as a guidance, uh, it's subject to interpretation. Mm -hmm. So that interpretation of our Far East uh, Muslim brothers is in certain areas, I'm talking about finance here, not other issues, but finance, it's somewhat different than our brothers in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And on certain issues, they do not see eye to eye. Now, 20 years ago, when I first uh, ventured into Islamic banking, the gap was huge between the two. But over mm-hmm. the years, that gap has narrowed, but still there's a gap. So certain things that would be allowed in, for example, in Islamic finance in Malaysia, which is one of the more advanced in terms of Islamic finance. So some of the things that they would allow, down a bit on the liberal side, those things will be prohibited in the Middle East because in the Middle East, the Egyptian school of thought prevails in terms of what Islamic finance or what underlying Sharia principles ought to be applied and the way they should be interpreted. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, jurisprudence. So in the case of a dispute in Islamic banking, so if it is a dispute between a client and the bank, it will go to the conventional court because you do not have Islamic courts to rule on that. Okay. The third element is people. People that work in Islamic banking. A lot of people that work in Islamic banking are not even Muslims. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier on, Islamic finance, Islamic banking, is underpinned by religion. Okay. You have to understand the principles of the religion. Right? And while non-Muslims can understand the principles of religion, yet to be able to work in that industry, you have to believe in those principles because then only you can act according to those rules and regulations, those principles. Right? Mm-hmm. Most of the people that currently work in Islamic finance are non-Muslims. These are the people that have come in from conventional banks because they saw an opportunity with slightly higher pays in Islamic finance. Mm -hmm. And what they've done is 
that brought in the services and the products from the conventional banks changed the names of a few things, which we call as putting a green wrapper around it, mm-hmm. and presented it to the to the to the general public as Islamic. Okay. So, an example of that is instead of calling it interest rates on on a loan or on a mortgage, they'll say markup. Mm-hmm. There's no difference in the underlying. It's just the semantics. It's just right? it's just a different name. It's the same it's thing, but it's just name. a different name. Just rename the thing. I yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So by, by by calling it markup and not an interest rate, you are putting a green wrapper around that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're presenting it Islamic, and it's not Islamic. I mean, we have seen we have seen the system, for example, in Pakistan go Islamic overnight. Uh, you know, during the during the 70s, mm-hmm. it's never functioned as Islamic on Islamic principles. You just call it different names. Mm-hmm. So the Training of the people, the understanding of the people, as to how these, be, uh, you know, what they understand about Islamic finance, is very critical. Because at the end of the day, it is not the machine; it is the man behind the machine that matters. Right. Mm. Mm, exactly. Well, um, Doctor Wasim, always a pleasure talking to you. And, and an education, I should say. <laughs> so thank you very much for jo- uh, for joining us the, this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's always thank a you. pleasure and a, a, never a chore to speak to you, Dr. Wasim. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good day. 208 uh, Sorry, I should say 208 um, or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, I mean, you know, the words that uh, Dr. Wasim so eloquently put is just that uh, actually these ideas, I think, Imran, of mm-hmm. Islamic banking and it working uh, currently is just really a, well, a disclaimer. You yeah. know, you know, just it's just calling the same thing, interest. You know, interest is not interest, it's markup. Yeah, I mean, they just saw the opportunity to, I mean, business and they just... Uh, um, using the same kind of methods and just renaming everything and saying this is not uh, interest or something. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in, in terms of when we look at interest, yeah, in Islam, we have this idea of zakat. I mean, if you can just explain to our uh, listeners out there briefly what that means, uh, Imran. Okay. So, just a second. So, uh, yes, you're talking about zakat. zakat. According to in the law of Islam, uh, one has to pay um, 2.5% of one's cash money, mm-hmm. capital, stock, and uh, tradable assets, including jewelry in gold and silver, of which one was in possession of uh, possession for one full year, provided that uh, one had more than the accessible limit. This is um, this is paid to help the poor and the needy, as has been commanded by the Holy Quran and explained and put into practice by the Holy Prophet himself. And uh, 
Yeah, so this is the main concept of uh, Zakat. Zakat. Yeah. And you know, just for our listeners out there, if you think about that, that's your asset wealth. It's two point five percent of your asset wealth. So whether it be you know in the in the in the times of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, you know, women. I mean, not just women. Yeah, you know, if you had jewelry, mm-hmm. uh, that would be uh, one of your assets. Yeah. Uh, in modern day, we would look at your total asset base, which would be. You know, maybe the house that you live in, mm-hmm. maybe the car that you drive. Uh, so it's all these things. And even, you know, we have stocks and shares now. Yeah. They are uh, they are uh, a, a form of asset. So if you actually think about that, this is what, and, you know, to put it in context of what we are experiencing now, this cost of living crisis, it's not really affecting the rich because mm-hmm. the rich can afford to pay yeah. Two and a half thousand capped mm-hmm. fuel bills, right? Okay. It's those who are on the other end of the scale, uh, who are on you know the minimum wage, who are having to go to food banks to feed their children mm-hmm. and feed their families, right? Even though they are working, mm-hmm. who will in this winter time have to actually go out to keep warm, yeah. right? If we actually had this re um, should I say uh, allocation of wealth mm-hmm. from the wealthy to the poor then would it not be more of an equitable society obviously I mean uh, you place it very beautifully that uh, Islam provide the system um, through that we can uh, uh, accommodate our, uh, our brothers mm-hmm. who are in very need of very basic uh, uh, requirement of the life so that's how Islam, basically through zakat, Islam mm-hmm. um, provide that system to accommodate our brothers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and we were joined actually to speak more about this uh, by our last guest of the afternoon, Mubarak uh, Malik, who is a geologist with a specialization in oil exploration. In fact, she, he's a retired uh, geologist. Peace and blessings be upon you, uh, Mubarak, uh, Mubarak Saab. Thank you for joining us this afternoon on the Drive Time Show. Yeah, thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. <coughs> so, you know, we know that the Holy Quran lays great emphasis on this concept of zakat uh, and mm-hmm. and when it becomes due. Now, can you just briefly explain, you know, the purpose behind this concept? I mean, we touched on it briefly, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the zakat is not just a teaching, but an act of worship in mm-hmm. Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it provides a system of a revenue collection which is then used to improve the economic conditions and general welfare of society. It promotes circulation of wealth by way of creating employment and trade opportunities while preventing hoarding. The system of zakat is not only, uh, is not only uh, compassionate in nature, but uh, has an inbuilt, as I understand, inbuilt mechanism to enhance prosperity. Mm-hmm. Islam teaches us that paying zakat is an essential step towards purifying one's wealth. So, on that, the purification mm-hmm. of one's wealth. I mean, can you just elaborate? How does you know paying this two point five percent on your asset wealth purify the the rest of your wealth? Yeah, you're quite a, a good question. Uh, you know that it is a part of our belief that uh, everything belongs to Allah. Right. And whatever we possess contains a share of those who happen to be less fortunate. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we are only holding it as a trust. So once we have given their share, say by way of paying zakat, our remaining wealth and assets are deemed purified. So the term purifying wealth, as I understand, can be understood as an expression to describe that we have fulfilled our duty as per Allah's instructions to assist mankind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, Jazakallah um, Malik uh, Sahib for answering that. Uh, my next question, my next question to is uh, to you is. Uh, when um, calculating zakat, what sort of exemptions can be applied and on what basis? Yeah, there are generally two types of possessions one can have. One is called what internal possessions like money and jewelries, and the other are externals like livestock, farm produce, trading activities, and so on. So the basis of exemptions actually depend on three main things. One is the quantity, that is how much number or weight uh, mm-hmm. that p- particular thing is to check the limits because there are certain limits above the it is the cut is payable only above certain limits so okay. to check the limits and elapsed time elapsed time is something that how long that uh, commodity remains unused mm-hmm. uh, which is required that it should at least be a year uh, unused and the availability of it, that means that that commodity or should be in possession of the person, not uh, out of possession or loaned out to someone. So these are the main th- three things that are required to work it out. And I can give you some example. For instance, uh, gold is uh, has a uh, limit of 87 gram. I see. So 87 means that uh, up to 87 gram, I will say just less than 87 gram, mm-hmm. is uh, exempt from uh, from uh, zakat. Okay. Uh, similarly, silver is uh, 620 gram. Uh, 619 gram is exempt, but once it reaches to 620 or gold reaches to 87 gram, then on the entire gold or entire silver, uh, this zakat is payable at a rate of 2.5. Mm-hmm. And the money... Money has been calculated, uh, even though there has been a discussion among the scholars, but um, most agree that uh, if somebody has a money, then it should be equivalent to the current value of 87 gram of uh, gold, which is currently about 4,500 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I understand that uh, livestock, as far as the livestocks are concerned, uh, that is, if, if livestock is fed uh, at owner's expense, then it is exempt from zakat. Okay. As they are not feeding it on public uh, g- uh, grounds, uh, because I think, uh, because in the past uh, people used to graze at the public grounds, so then they had to pay some share of it. That's why. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you're, you're yeah. saying that uh, you do not do not have to pay zakat on your uh, necessities, i.e., the house and car, right? Yes, okay. uh, those anything that it is in use of someone's, like house, car, okay. and uh, even uh, factories which are producing, which are pro- providing employment, uh, are, are exempt okay. uh, as far as uh, from 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 the zakat. Mm. So, so if I can just ask, just very briefly, because we're coming to the end of the show, what is the difference then between zakat and taxation? Because it's a redistribution of, of, of wealth from the wealthy to the poor. 
Yes. Uh, I understand that zakat uh, does contain features of tax system, mm-hmm. but are implemented differently and in a more fair and compassionate manner. For example, it applies only to the savings, uh, but not on the income as it comes. Right. And savings also have to stay uh, for up to a year to that level where zakat is applicable. Uh, if it changes its position, uh, is it reinvested somewhere, then no zakat. And the new year, because it is only paid after a year. Uh, a new year starts for the whole next year, one has to wait. And uh, anything that is in, in somebody's use is also not uh, not uh, applicable for zakat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, applicable to zakat. Mm. Uh, I would say that uh, um, it comes to my mind is the gift of the aid scheme that we are familiar with. It gift mm-hmm. scheme, I believe, has borrowed this whole system from zakat <laughs> uh, because yes. anything that you give it is tax which is not taken from it okay mm. it is returned back because that was initially the responsibility of the state for which state was uh, was receiving the zakat okay money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but now that other people are doing it then their tax is returned basically this is mm. the tax uh, uh, the difference, yes, no, excellently put. No, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, uh, Mansur Z- okay. uh, Malik Saab. Thank you very much for okay. joining us on the uh, Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Strongly. Waalaikum So that brings us to the end of the show. Um, I mean, uh, you know, we can go on about zakat for for forever and a day, yeah. actually, because it is it is actually if we could actually instigate that. Globally, I think a lot of our worries uh, globally would be just totally eradicated. Absolutely. Don't you think, Imran? But uh, with that, we're coming. To, we're drawing to the end of the show. We need to thank our producers, uh, Duras. Uh, Sam, sorry, Duras. Sam, Duras Samini. Sami, yeah. uh, Mirza, and Fayal Nasir, uh, our backroom staff in the guise of Zishan, and my fellow uh, co-host Imran uh, Akram. This has been Monday's edition of the Drive Time Show. Here is the 6 o'clock news.